We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor A.J. Mastic shares his message from me, myself, and why. Am I what I love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is that famous love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, it was likely recited at the last wedding that you went to. And it ends like this. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love has this amazing power and ability to make us feel secure. Uh, It can drive us crazy. It can empty gifts off of a store shelf. Uh, It can make us feel crushed when it's not reciprocated. Love is all you need, according to the song. Uh, It's in your head now, you're welcome. But what if love is all you need? What if we're wrong about that and right about that at the same time? In the Bible, in the Christian scriptures, there's about 686 references to the word love. And today we find about 13 of those in the text that we're going to be covering. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. In just six short verses, we've got them jam-packed in there. And I think as we dig into this as a part of our Me, Myself, and Why series, exploring the, exploring the roots of our identity and just what makes us tick, we're going to be exploring the love, love that excuse me, the role that love plays in that uh, today. And I think what we're going to find is that in many respects, we have some really unhealthy ways that we pursue love, but also that God has a very abundant, life-giving way of approaching love that He wants for us. And so we're going to be digging into that today. And as we get started, my name is AJ, and and I want to fully admit, today's message was a little tricky for me because... So many of us have, as we put this stuff together for all of you, so many of us in this room have just so many different experiences and, and feelings around our, the relationships that we have right now, and, and I want to honor the diversity of experiences everyone has. And at the same time, when I started getting into this message, I'm not sure I entirely, um, until I sat with and, and wrestled with it, understood just how important it is for me and for all of us to really hear what God wants to say uh, to us today. And so uh, as we dig in together, I think what I see is that there is danger on either side, but there is life in the middle with God. And so as we get started, I just want to pray for us. God, uh, as we prepare to dig into your word today, Lord, having come into worship to receive your grace and mercy afresh and praise your name. Lord, as we dig in, help us, Lord, through challenge and through promises to embrace everything that you have in store for us because your way is better. It is good and true. Lord, tune our hearts and our minds to your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. So without any further ado, let's dig into it here. This is 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, 
for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is, this is powerful that right off the bat in today's passage, before we go any further, it's this idea that love, like everything else in the universe, finds its origin in God. It has its genesis in Him. It's just part of who He is. It's part of His character and His nature to be a loving God, which is not something that all people are ready to concede, right? Many of us, we've had doubts over, is God truly loving or not, right? Uh, You know, that we've heard that He's wrathful and punishing and judgment and especially in the Old Testament, right? And we've, we've kind of felt that. Um, and that there's times where we've gone, well, my prayers have gone unanswered. And, and why is there evil going on in the world? And so does God really love? And this is one of those questions we ask. We've been going through this big question series with our core students, with our middle school students uh, right now. A big shout out to them. They're joining us for worship today. Uh, but also, like, this is just part of life is exploring big questions like this. And this is certainly one of the biggest ones, Um, that far from this understanding of God as sort of the the trope of the judgmental God that we see in culture, uh, that he wants himself to be known as otherwise. And I get why people are confused by it. I mean, Christians, we're imperfect at, at showing God's love to others, which is why it's so important for us to go to the source, to go to where, what he says about himself. And so, just before we go any further today, we've, we've picked four verses from Scripture that we want to highlight uh, where God has inspired these to be written so that we might know what His character is from His own lips. And so, we're just going to power through these real quick. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And and elsewhere, he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. He also says that though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. You are forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. We see the thread here, right? And what's more is all of these passages are from the Old Testament. You know, I could have picked from all over Scripture, Old Testament or New, but I think just to highlight, we often have this misunderstanding that the God of the Old Testament is sort of wrathful and and the God of the New Testament, He's about forgiving, right? But God is consistent and the same yesterday, today, and forever that all throughout the narrative of Scripture, which is really the narrative of history, He's been working for our God, or for our God, for our good. That's just part of, of who he is, right? Um, anyone here ever play the game Telestrations? You may know it by a different name. Uh, we were playing it before it became commercially available. It's a, it's a new game, uh, but we knew it as Pictionary Telephone. That ring any bells? Not a very creative name, but a, definitely a very descriptive name. And, you know, if you've played the old telephone game where you pass a phrase along to other people, you know, the phrase sort of may change by the time it gets to the end of the chain. In Pictionary Telephone, you actually have to turn a phrase into a picture, and then the person after you has to turn that back into a phrase, and then back into a picture, and then back into a phrase, and so on. And by the time it gets around, there's some pretty wild pictures. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to say that. Um, But the picture that we get of God 
from Scripture. Isn't the caricature that we, we get from him of, of throwing the lightning bolts and enjoying that, right? I mean, if he was throwing lightning bolts, I'd have been hit a long time ago, <laughs> wouldn't be standing here. But rather a God who says, my love is for real, and you can test me on that. Um, that God, if we want to know for sure and personally, to, to give him a shot. To, to get to know him, which is where John kind of goes next in our passage we're studying today. He says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He doesn't just love, but he embodies it. He is love, right? You ask God, you know, uh, or yes, Jesus, do you know God the Father? He says, of course, we're one, right? And he says the same thing about love. We're one. And whether you were talking about brotherly love or romantic love or sort of selfless, sacrificial love, to recognize that it all comes from God. This is sort of a radical statement, right? Uh, it's, a, it's almost exclusionary as well, right? That if we want to know what love is, we have to know God. That for those of us that are on the fence about Jesus, that to know how fully you could possibly be loved, you've got to give him a shot. You've got to go to him. Uh, and for those of us who follow Jesus, if we want to know how fully we can possibly be loved, we have to daily keep coming back to him. And I love this passage too. It really highlights for us the struggle we have that if we're indifferent to the plight of others, or if we withhold love from people, even, even our enemies, right, not even them, right, then it shows that we don't understand who God is as well as we thought. Um, that for all of our, our doctrines and beliefs, if we have not love, our faith is way more immature than we thought. Uh, we need a better vision for it. And John, as he continues in verse 9, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and set his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, that as we grow, we learn over time that love isn't just the feeling, but it requires sacrifice. It's not always where Hollywood and TV and movies love to, to spend their time, right? I mean, uh, you know, look at the movie Titanic. Who, who saw that one in theaters? Yeah, a lot of us, right, went and saw that one. Uh, you know, in theory, they could have focused on any people on board that ship, right? They could have made that story about anyone. There were a whole host of people, thousands of people on the ship from all walks of life with all sorts of relationships. Uh, and yet the attractive one to sell tickets is this, you know, this is putting two young lovers on the bow of the ship, you know, embracing each other as they look into the camera and their hair flutters in the wind, right? Um, this is what sells tickets. And while they're sacrificing the, that movie, it's not where it spends most of its time. The reality is, as far as the depth of love goes, uh, that that sort of stuff is only the tip of the iceberg. See what I did there? Yeah, you're getting it now, right? Is it too soon? Um, no, but, but truly, our understanding that love that matures is love that understands that there has to be presence and communication and commitment and giving of oneself. And, and sacrifice, right? And we kind of get this idea that love can go awry, right? When we, when we view it as we're gonna withhold it. And love can go awry when we see it as just feelings, but just as important. We see those things, but just as important. And I think most of us really struggle to see this next one. Uh, it's hard for us, right? Uh, that our love 
can take on a very selfish uh, and a very manipulative toxicity whenever we try to use the love of other people to fill the place of God in our lives. That truly we are wired to love, it's a good thing, right? It's a virtue in Scripture, which is why it's so hard for us to see when we misuse it, right? Um, That God has given us all these relationships with our our, our parents and our family and our kids and our neighbors and coworkers and all sorts of people, and we're to cherish those, and yet they can so easily become idols when we approach them from our, our own personal emotional need for identity instead of out of the overflow of that which God has extended to us. The reality is that love apart from Jesus always in one way or another becomes toxic. It's kind of like, like salt water. I was thinking about this because I, I watched a YouTube video this week of a guy who spent 76 days floating in the open ocean on a life raft after his ship went down. And it's this incredible story of survival. I think his name was Steve Callahan, if I remember remembering. Um, but he had to patch his raft. He had to fish for food, you know. He had to really control his water intake because water is critical to life. And all around him, he's surrounded by water. And I'm sure it got really tempting to just try and drink some of the ocean water, drink some of that salt water. It looks the same, but it's nowhere near the same effect. It will bring poison and madness to your mind and to your body. And so thankfully he had packed a solar still so he could actually make fresh water in the raft. He didn't have to drink the toxic water as appealing as that probably got to him, right? Because love is such a powerful force and because it's so appealing and attractive, we can sometimes easily get into this idea of it's almost like a synthetic drug to us. It can become very codependent. We can easily go into a codependency in our life. I I love this definition of codependency. I want to read it because I want to get it exactly right because it really hit me. Codependency is a circular relationship in which one person needs the other person who in turn needs to be needed. The codependent person known as the giver feels worthless until they are needed by and make sacrifices for the enabler. That oftentimes in our relationships, they're not as selfless as we may think and oftentimes we let our identity disappear and diminish into the identity of others so much so that we identify primarily by our relationship with others. You know, we might identify as a, you know, the girlfriend of so-and-so or the husband of or the mother of. Or maybe you've spent time longing for these sorts of relationships and it occupies a lot of mental space and there's a lot of anxiety about getting these relationships. And so you learn to almost identify them by them because they occupy your mental space, right? So much so that sometimes we don't know who we would be apart from some of these relationships. Anybody have that sort of relationship in your life? Uh, Maybe something that verges on that? And moms, you guys have a hard time with this one too, and especially hard time, the mother of. Um, it's just hard for moms, right? Um, I know, and there's no wonder really. I mean, around my house, I think the word mom is uttered like every 27 seconds. Um, you know, that, you know, and I've tried really hard to make sure the kids know I am just as much a parent as Megan is. But they go right past me when they have needs. They go straight to her. Um, they swear, right, that her mac and cheese is better, even though it comes out of the same box. 
Um, probably is better, but it's beside the point. Um, but truly, you know, that it's, it's for, it's in a unique experience that those who are single parents and moms really know. And today, as it is a day where we honor moms for their sacrifice and their, their love in our lives, whether they're near or far, they're, they're past or they're with us still, we honor them. And we also know that they're, they're human, right? Uh, that they are sinners just like we are, loving imperfectly. And if you're a mom here today too, you know even more viscerally than I do, sort of the feeling of wanting the best for your kids, but also your own limitations and mothering imperfectly, right? And, and I think, you know, a mom I was talking to this week said um, very powerfully, a, a good reminder, that in mothering there's a lot of pain and fear. And yet, I think this passage today that we've been digging to in, in 1 John 4 really has an incredible and a fresh hope for mothers, which is important today, but also I think for the rest of us, for those who are our spouses and siblings and grandparents and neighbors and coworkers, really any human being that is in this place, right? Uh, that God has a special message for us and for you today, which is that you are more than you are who you love. You're more than what you do for other people. And you don't need to be needed to be worthy to receive love. Every church leader I talk to also kind of buys into a similar phenomena that, that sometimes, especially when we're just start, starting out in ministry, we, we tend to, and maybe you approach worship this way too, approach worship as a sacrifice that we make for God. And that, you know, sometimes in worship we, get, we buy into this, like, we just got to one-up what we did last time. It's got to be more exciting and more thrilling, and we got to do something new all the time, right? And sometimes we end up in this spot of, somehow I feel farther from God and more exhausted. And, and almost everybody I've talked to in, in the ministry or serves has, has had to come to the realization that sometimes we have it backwards. That worship isn't what we do primarily for God, but it's where we meet him and he primarily serves us. Uh, and that in worship, he pours into us and we respond with our praise. And in the same way, he flips our understanding of love as well. He says it's not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The defining love in our lives is his love, the love that we receive, not the love we give. The defining sacrifice in our life isn't what we do for others, but rather the sacrifice that he has made for you and for me. That our, our relationships don't define us, but our relationship with him is the primary defining factor in our life. And frankly, the cross is. That at the cross, all of our relationships meet, uh, mostly our, our relationship with him. And every, this is what the cross does, for every piece of our self-worth and identity we've put in someone else, for every brokenness and every broken piece and chunk of ourselves that we've handed out, Jesus goes to the cross that they might be recovered. For everything we've exchanged for fool's gold, he purchases us back and makes us whole again and united in relationship with our heavenly Father. He changes everything. And in the New Testament, there are many words for love. It was 
The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and among some of those Greek words for love are phileo, which is a sort of brotherly love. There's eros, which is a romantic love, but there's also agape, which is a, a selfless, generous, divine love. And in this text, all 13 references are agape. They're pure, generous, unadulterated service to us. Martin Luther King Jr. had this to say about agape. He said, agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. Um, And that's what God does for us. That regardless of our propensity to find identity elsewhere, uh, that regardless of whether or not our life looks pretty rough from the outside or whether it seems like we have it pretty put together, but our our struggles are deeper and still very much present, that regardless of that, His love is real and it's for us. And if we have trouble even showing love and valuing ourselves, He says, follow my lead. And I love what this next quote says, that the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. That our propensities and our shortcomings, they don't keep us from God, but rather God extends his identity over us. That in love, we can become sons of God, daughters of God. The most important relationships uh, that we have. And when we lean into this, it's amazing what it changes in our life. The more we receive identity from him and live in that, the more beautiful and redeemed everything else becomes. And gratitude, we get so grateful. Once we re- the more we receive, the more we have to say, thank you, God. Gratitude is just this great, um, it's almost like a gauge that helps us know how well we're doing in receiving from God, how open we've been, right? That the more grateful we are, the easier we can sort of rattle off, this is the, the blessings that uh, God has put in my life. If you sat down to do a gratitude journal, the words would just flow out. Uh, that indicates you've really just kind of been present with him. But when we get in times in our life in which we're like, I'm not sure what I have to be grateful for right now. You know, what's God done for me me lately? Uh, When we struggle on, focus on the struggles without the silver linings at all, it shows that the tank is empty. Uh, And that gratitude really, it doesn't arise because of circumstances, but rather walking with God and being present with Him. And so God gives us this invitation to come back and to sit at his feet and to receive from me, he says. Because the healthier our relationship is with God, the more healthy our relationship is with God, the more healthy our relationship with others becomes. I want want you guys to say that with me because we need to commit this to memory. I think it's important. The healthier our relationship is with God, the healthier our other relationships will become. If you want the best for your marriage, if you want the best for your kids, if you want the best for your neighbors and coworkers, for your friends, then start with the love that God has for you. There's this great story that I, I once saw, a documentary that was produced called Itao. It was a story of a, um, a, an African missionary who went, and I love telling this story, uh, you know, but he went and helped bring the gospel to a tribe in Africa. And as he brought the gospel, it was desperately needed. This was a tribe in which the men were very much dominating the society in some very unhealthy ways. 
They had um, sort of this uh, mask and costume that they would come out at night and their religion was based around it and they it would pretend it was the deity and, and, but it was just one of them dancing in the costume, right? And, and you know, of course the women knew what was going on. They're, they're not dummies, right? But um, any woman who sort of verbalized that she knew what was going on could have been killed. Um, the, the women in that, in that tribe were taking a, a huge burden of the household chores while the men uh, were taking it easy. They mostly raised the kids without their dads being a huge part of things. And when the gospel came to that place, it fundamentally changed every relationship. I loved just seeing the power of the good news of Jesus at work, the power of the cross fundamentally changing how all of them related with one another. That the men suddenly realized how bad their deception was and they showed the, the mask to everybody and got rid of the thing. That they started pouring into their relationships with their family in greater detail. They started playing with the kids and having a lot more fun with them and building with those bonds. It was just amazing to see how it changed everybody. But as a man, just to see how it changed those men, that was inspiring for me. And I know that for me, every time I open the pages of Scripture that God is pouring into me to grow um, more as, as a healthy man. And it just reminds me that the, the more I receive from Him, the more it trickles down into those other relationships. Which is where John goes here. He wants us to know this. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, since God so changed everything about us, we also ought to love one another. It should trickle down. And it, and it does so in a number of different ways. Um, it lets us know that we don't have to empty ourselves for others because God already did that, right? That, that we don't have to view others in our lives as a source, as the source of light in our life. That's what God is. And that we actually just reflect that light back and forth to one another and we cherish one another because of it. That we don't own the relationships in our life, but rather we steward them as a gift of God. And that even with our kids, right, I've said this before, but we don't, our kids, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. They're not a generation removed from him through us. That our kids are the children of God as well. He's working just as powerfully in their lives and in their story as he has in our own. And he holds them more tightly than we ever could. And so those of us that are parents or, or that have kids in your life, that we don't love them out of everything that we have, it's not enough. We love them out of everything that God has. I love that the gospel for us means this as well that we can have confidence that we don't have to be needed in order to be a valuable person, but rather we can be whole before God because of what He has done first and foremost. And that whenever we have rough relationships, think about the last relational thing that you were you know, um, at odds with or that really troubled you in mind and you couldn't help but keep thinking of it over and over again. Um, that that relationship, I have often found when things go awry, the problem isn't necessarily all on them or all on me. The, the reality is I've often gotten out of a place where I'm receiving from God, that something in my relationship with God has gotten out of priority. And when I go back into receiving mode in, in worship, that's what we're doing now, right? And in, in His Word and in prayer, and 
and through community with other believers, then it's amazing how God makes the next step so much clearer in that relationship. And clear vision ahead is where John wants to go here. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in in us and his love is made complete in us. And so I want to be very clear that God's word today wants us to go to a place of loving others. What we're not saying today uh, is you need to, you know, not love your your spouse so much and your kids so much and all the other people in your life uh, because that love really belongs to God, right? Take from one place and give to another. It's not what God's word is saying at all today. Rather, it's saying the more that we receive from him, the more redeemed our relationships with others become. The less anxious, the less selfish, the, the more beautiful and full and enriching they are. This is why when Jesus is asked, what, are the, what is the greatest sort of commandment? What's the most important thing that we do? The two greatest commandments we got are ordered very intentionally. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. First be filled and then pour out into the lives of others. There's another image that scripture gives of a cord of three strands not being easily broken, uh, you know, braiding. Another thing that I don't do as well as Megan, um, but that we often use this cord of three strands image as sort of a marital thing, right? And almost exclusively a marriage illustration, but I think it's so much broader than that, that with any two people, any two people, regardless of what our relationship is to one another, with any two sinners in relationship, we're going to get tangled up sometimes. We're going to get frayed and separated, but rather it is the relationship with God anchoring us both that ties us all together even closer with one another. And so absolutely scripture today is saying love people, but do so from a place not of need, but of overflow. As I was reading a commentary for this message, I came across a very plain truth, but also it's really profound. And we're gonna leave us with this today, that the waters of the Dead Sea are unfit to drink and useless for irrigation because water only flows in, nothing flows out. That truly in life it's a both and, that we need the waters of God pouring into us to give us identity, but it also needs to flow through us for us to be healthy people. And in order like the, the world may experience his love because our world really needs it. And so may our anthem today, may what we chew on this week and go forward to live out by the power of the gospel, may it start with where John finishes. May we know and may we rely on the love that God has for us. We pray. God, thank you that in this place we can come and encounter your love. Lord, we know that here you accept us. You come and you give us your forgiveness, your grace and your mercy anew and afresh that it might might become our identity once again. Lord, as we chew on the challenges and the promises that we have just heard, Lord, we pray that 
your love would be evident in our lives, first and foremost filling us and then overflowing to those around us. And, and as we seek to do better in that, Lord, we run to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, our heavenly Father. We know that every good thing is found in you because you are love. Lord, may we embody that today as we follow in your footsteps. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at our website, pathfinderstl.org.